Well, I have legal questions, and that means I have to pull on the sleeve of our friend, brilliant legal mind, attorney, author, speaker, radio host, Wendy Patrick. And Wendy is joining us. And um, I, I just, I know, Wendy, I know I am a proctological nuisance with my constant questions, <laughs> but your patience and your knowledge are appreciated. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Mike. Always a pleasure to join you. Well, let's start. Thank you. Let's start off with um, something that I wonder if you have any knowledge about it. But we got news uh, yesterday that that the uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court a couple of weeks ago spent a night in the hospital after he fell while he was out on a walk, allegedly got dehydrated and um, needed some stitches and had to spend night in the hospital. But we just hear about it a couple weeks later. How come the Supreme Court has this cloak of secrecy around it? That's right. So the Chief Justice, as well as other federal judges who have lifetime tenure, they are not required to divulge information about their health or their medical conditions. Very different from running for office, running for president. Everybody wants to know how's the health of the two candidates we have now. They're both over 70. So those are the kind of questions that judges, at least at this level, don't have to answer. Now, having said that, apparently pre-existing conditions are available, that information during confirmation hearings. And the Chief Justice did have something in his background about seizures, but it wasn't an issue. And it wouldn't be an issue unless it was to the extent that it would interfere with his ability to do his job. But you're correct that when there's anything in somebody's background and you have evidence of a secret hospital visit, you wonder, why was it a secret? Why didn't we hear about it? Because contrast him with Justice Ginsburg, who has been so transparent and upfront about her health battles that you sometimes think, well, I guess the rest of the justices are perfectly healthy. Apparently that's not true. Yeah, apparently it's not true. And we always seem to find out about it after the fact. Even with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, um, she's been pretty open about it. But oftentimes we hear about her hospital stays weeks after, too. So it's it's just unusual. And I get it that uh, federal judges, people with lifetime appointments like the Supreme Court, do require a certain amount of anonymity because there are crazy people out there who um, don't necessarily like the decisions they render. So I, I do respect their privacy and their security, but, you know, their their health is just something that it seems like we'd be able to know. And at the same time, they're not exactly working from the court. They're working from home these days, right? That That's right. And in this instance with the Chief Justice, the doctors ruled out a seizure, according to news reports. They think the fall was simply due to lightheadedness caused by dehydration. So you can imagine why justices and other notables in the news media would want to keep these types of things quiet because somebody might dramatize the event and, and make it into something that it's not if it's simply a fainting incident. I mean, who can forget uh, Secretary Clinton stumbling at the fundraiser, remember, when she was running for president? I mean, we talked about that for weeks, speculating as to, well, was that really her and what happened? And so you can understand why people would want to keep it quiet. But this just goes to show you what happens when you do. When it does come out, everybody wonders, well, why didn't we hear about it at the time? Especially when you have a colleague like Justice Ginsburg setting the, the stage by being at least far more transparent about some of her challenges. Yeah, I was just thinking back to uh, 
uh, Hillary Clinton on that September 11th ceremony, and they the ta- stumble, yeah. They ta- <laughs> tossed her like a sack of potatoes in the back of that SUV, and then sped away, and we didn't hear anything. I, I'm not going to bring that up again, Wendy. There are other questions I have. Um, the situation with colleges and schools. The president has been talking for a few days now about how he thinks it's important to get kids back in school, and earlier this week we learned. Harvard said they're not going to have classroom education, not in-person classroom education uh, this coming semester. It's going to be virtual online education, but they're still going to be charging that almost $50,000 tuition to the uh, to the kids or the parents who are paying for their kids to attend Harvard. And we're hearing about lawsuits that are coming up from from the last few months of education and parents are saying no we paid for in-person education we don't want to foot the the full bill do you see this being a big deal going forward i think it depends on what college we're talking about because one argument would be well you're paying for a degree from harvard and you should be paying for everything that school has to offer which includes in-person instruction and then, you know, the, the school would argue back, yes, but we have to pay our, our faculty the same amount, so we can't, where's the money going to come from if we charge the student a lesser amount? But as a practical consideration, this is not the celebrated college experience that kids are supposed to have. A virtual experience just doesn't cut it. And I know there's an argument about, well, some students might be advised to take a, a semester off or a year off, but Mike, you and I and our listeners, we all know that an object in motion stays in motion. You don't want to take that kind of a break and then think somehow you might pick the momentum back up after being out of the game for one year, two years. How, who knows how long this is going to, to, to go on? And you don't want to put your career on hold either. So it's not a good, uh, so there aren't any good solutions now, but I guarantee you that as these lawsuits continue to come, we're going to be coming up with some solutions that are going to make everybody happy, at least to the extent that we can, because it's unprecedented true, but there has to be a way to meet in the middle to at least give students the experience they paid for or charge them less. See, I love it because Wendy Patrick, our attorney friend, always looks at it from both sides. She always tries to argue it from the uh, defense and the prosecution side of things. So she's ready for this. <laughs> Which, which always makes me try and rethink however I face a situation, Wendy. And uh, speaking of situations, on Wednesday afternoon, a friend of mine sent me an email that was bouncing around NBC. And it was an email that was detailing a, a new policy, and I'm using air quotes on that, a policy, an idea that NBC was putting forth that they think will help them balance the company in in uh, in terms of racial diversity in this time when there's a lot of focus on this. And I'm looking at this and I'm reading this and they've set a target for what they're calling the 50% challenge initiative, which means they're focusing on populating their company, their employees based on uh, a racial rating, basically. So uh, on its face, this feels discriminatory to me. And I, I would be I would be very concerned 
that this this would be uh, teetering on illegality. Am I just being overly sensitive here? Well, I don't think there's anything uh, like being overly sensitive nowadays. I think that we used to say that maybe 30 years ago, but we have we have to think about the practical realities of the world we live, where we want to make sure that any policy statement, whether it's internally within a company or whether it's something that's put out as a public mission statement, is ch- checks all the boxes. It's not discriminatory. It doesn't discriminate based on protected categories. But here is what why this is so serious right now, Mike. Companies feel like they have to say something, because if they don't, they're complacent. At least that'll be the public perception. So what companies want to make sure they're doing is vetting these statements through so many different levels, like somebody like you, somebody with different views than you do, to make sure that there is nobody out there who's going to point something out that they wish they'd thought of before they let something like this go. Because let's face it, nothing ever stays within a company, does it? Internal memos leak to the media, they end up on Twitter, and then it reflects on the company, when in fact, who knows how many people actually were involved in crafting some of these things. So you're, you're flagging a very important issue, and it's also an issue that companies are sort of looking to each other for, saying, well, how are they doing it over there? You know, we're all learning together how to navigate through these unprecedented times, Mike. I mean, we've never talked about some of these issues uh, before because they haven't been brought to the forefront quite in the same way they are nowadays. Uh, No, we haven't talked about them before, but we will talk about them in the future. I guarantee it. Wendy Patrick is her name. Find her at wendypatrickphd.com and uh, see what she's up to. Her radio show, all her speaking in her books. Thank you, my friend. Hey, Mike, always a pleasure.